Welcome to Women in the Arena podcast, the podcast celebrating women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. I'm your host, Audra Egan, and our mission is to elevate the value, strength, and resilience each woman brings to the world. Without further delay, let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome in, everyone. I'm your host, Audra Egan, and this is the Women in the Arena podcast, where we are celebrating women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. Today, we have another fascinating story that I hope that will inspire you, encourage you, and put a little bit of positivity into the world. So grab your headphones, grab a cup of something, and let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome, everyone. I am so glad that you've joined me today. You are in for a treat today. I have recently been introduced to this incredible woman that I cannot wait for you to get to know. Uh, She has led a magnificent life. Uh, She embodies the idea of being the master of your own destiny. She is a fierce protector, and she is incredibly kind and she is one smart lady and with that let me please introduce i am pleased to introduce you to mary ellen hickman mary ellen please say hello Audra. thank you so much for inviting me to participate i am absolutely thrilled to be here i am so glad that you're here uh, you have a fascinating story story excuse me and we will dive into it but first, before we jump into your story, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and allowing us to get to know you a little bit? Thanks, Audra. Um, again, Mary Ellen Hickman. I run, right now, I run my own um, marketing strategy consulting firm. I've been doing that for about 14 years, and my job is to increase profitability for small businesses. I do that now. I've had an interesting career in corporate brand management. Before that, I went to business school. And before that, I ran business in, well, I ran two different businesses in Ukraine. And that is where we're going to start. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So let me step back for a minute. First, you went to Georgetown to study language. So Tell us a little about that, uh, the, which language you studied and what your aspirations were to do with that type of degree. So way back when, when I all of, what was it, 17 and 18, I think I was 17 years old when I read a New York Times article about Russia. It was incredibly, like there was an entire spread. It must have been in one of the maybe the Saturday or the Sunday, New York Times, this incredible spread, so well-researched, a journalist, several journalists went into detail about, here's the former Soviet Union, here's Russia in particular. I was absolutely fascinated, and you could see it was well-researched. You could see it was as objective as possible, and you could still understand that if, if you went over on your own, you would see something different. 
I got hooked. My father said, study what you love. One additional piece of advice I would, I would give other people is get a minor in something that's very practical. <laughs> but, but I was, you know, I followed that study what you love and I particularly loved languages. And so I chose Russian. So you studied Russian at Georgetown. You went to a Ivy League school where everybody walking around amongst the campus are geniuses, and you picked Russian. So you picked a really easy path for yourself <laughs> right <laughs> off the bat. So Georgetown is definitely one of the, one of the, it's one of the top schools for language. And so I, I figured if I was going to pay for the education, which I'd been, you know, desperately saving for since I was little, I would, I would go to a school that was known for its languages. It's, it's known for being particularly good in teaching Russian, and it is. Um, but I was absolutely shocked to find out when I got, you know, I got to campus and I was all excited. I'm like, ooh, you know, living the dream. <laughs> I was in a class of, I think it was about 33 people for my intro to Russian class. And only three of us had never taken Russian before. There was a student there who'd studied it for four years in high school. Somebody who'd had a full year of it in college. Couldn't, if you couldn't pass the placement test, you were in Intro to Russian. So we did, we learned the entire Cyrillic alphabet in the first week. <laughs> I was expected to know it after that. <laughs> So wait, hold on. Uh, okay, hold on. I need to. I need to get this clear. So you decided to go study Russian at the most critically acclaimed university for languages, and you'd never studied it before. No, <laughs> no I was very young, Audra. I was very young. So that Georgetown is one of the. It's one of the top schools. It's probably not the top school, but it's definitely one of the top schools. And now, I I learned French and Spanish. I'd pick them up both fairly easily. I was used to, I was used to being, you know, a top performer in my high school. That's great. And then I got to school, and just like you said, I'm, you know, you're rubbing elbows with all of the really smart kids, and suddenly you're one of three who is behind, and you've never seen the language before. Absolutely. That indeed was my choice. <laughs> and it made for a very interesting first semester. I don't think I've ever studied that hard in my life. Of course, until I went to business school. But, <laughs> but that, <laughs> that first semester was a bear. So, the, so the, this is clearly setting a path for your life because you choose something really, really difficult that you'd never done before. And, and remember, I started this intro as you being the master of your own destiny. And that's, that is a, a shining example of something that you did at a very young age, which has most assuredly carried throughout the rest of your life. So you are finish your first semester of school and you're you're studying your uh, Russian. What did you want to do with your degree? So again, at, at 18, I had some very limited ideas of what one did after college. I didn't really know. I, I'm not kidding you. I went to school, right? Like Georgetown is not inexpensive. I got all my, you know, scholarships and financial aid. And 
I assumed I had four years and I would figure it out. Maybe I would teach. Maybe I would work overseas. Right? I happened to, I also, my first year, I actually got, I got, I got recruited, no less. <laughs> I joined Army ROTC. Um, they're very interested in Russian speakers. I thought maybe I'd have a career in the military. Again, maybe, maybe I'd teach this. Maybe I would work overseas. Maybe I'd work for a nonprofit overseas. I didn't really know, and I didn't have a strong idea, but I thought I had four years to figure it out, and I, I assumed I would, I'd get there by year four. <laughs> and that's not exactly what happened. So by year four, and you were staring graduation in the face, where did you find yourself? So at, at year four, at the beginning of year four, I had competed for and won a slot to study for a semester in Moscow. And at Georgetown, what happens with that is, unless you pass, they won't even allow you to apply to study overseas in Russian until you've had three full years and you have to pass a series of tests and it's competitive and you either, you have to have a certain foundation of the language. So I felt proud of myself. This is great. I won the thing. This is the thing I always wanted. Now I get to study abroad. Well, by this time I had been in ROTC for a couple of years and I thought, well, you know, like they really recruited us hard for this language. Okay. I'll probably have a military career. Unfortunately, by that time I'd gone through what they politely call summer camp which is a six weeks intensive, which takes your military experience out of the Georgetown and, and a, a series of colleges that participated in it, in Georgetown's Army ROTC, and it puts you in a broader pool. And to say that I did not have a good experience as a female would be a bit of an understatement, <laughs> but I quickly got the idea that, Oh, there's still some there's still some discrimination and harassment issues that need to be worked out in the military, and I didn't enjoy that. So I thought maybe I'm less interested in that path, and I was surprised to find that out. Right, it was a bit of a shock to me. I'm sure I'm sure people listening to this right now are perhaps politely chuckling, <laughs> but I was a what twenty year old kid. What do we know at twenty? I mean, yeah, I'm. I mean, you're lucky you found your dorm every day. I mean, at least I speak from my own experience at 20. You know, <laughs> it's rough. It is rough. You're, you're wet behind the ears. You have great aspirations, but you don't know anything. So I found out the broader experience in the military was much different than what I had experienced up until that time at Georgetown. And I didn't like it. Okay, so we X that path off, but I didn't have a backup plan. And I was heading overseas. Okay, I figured I'd figure it out when I came back. <laughs> right. We've eliminated that one. On to the next. So you are getting ready to do your overseas program. And how did that go? I loved it. Your entire world changes the moment you land in the airport. It's like... At that time, because that would have been in 1990, it's like being transported back to what I personally thought of at that time, could have the era completely wrong, the 1950s. It's like everything became black and white. At that time, in the area I was, my perception was everything looked dated, right? Like everything looked 
years, decades behind styles or cars, public transportation. Everything to me looked as though it were decades behind that of the U.S. I felt like I'd walked into a black and white movie from several decades prior. And so what you have, right, like it's easy enough. You're with, you know, like 15 other students, so you've got a place to live. You show up, right, like you've got a, a place. You know where your school is. You walk to school every day. That's great. But you have to figure out how to live there. And, and living over there is a little different than this country. You have to figure out how to buy food. And I politely called it the time of no food. The time of no You would stand food. in line. I call it the time of no food. <laughs> you have to stand in line typically for between one and two hours to get an item of food. An, an item. So you're saying one item. Eggs. Today you get eggs. <laughs> wow. Then you get grapes. You're like, okay, it has been three and a half hours. I'm tired. I'm going home. I have eggs and grapes. The locals knew the system better. The locals had people who lived out in the country who grew food and brought it in. The locals understand how to stand in line and the culture of standing in line. Foreign kid with no ration coupons, because we didn't have any, trying to figure out how to buy stuff with imperfect Russian. <laughs> and, and that's, you had to learn, you had to learn how to identify the right kind of line, how to figure out what was in the line, then how to hold your place in line because people would stand in multiple lines at the same time. And the first things we asked our Russian professors in the first week, we asked the thing we really need to know today is how to tell somebody not to budge in front of me in line because they could tell we didn't know the words for it. And so people would budge in front of you in line all the time. First week, we were like, we need to know how to say, and you, you say to them, you weren't standing here. <laughs> so you say it in Russian, it's like you were not standing here. <laughs> we learned it's the first thing we all ask, like, how do we do? Everybody's just walking in front of us in line all the time. And then they could tell we don't know what to say to them. So they just look at us and stand in front of us. <laughs> wow. What a culture shock. That's, I, I mean, immediately. That's what we learned. Shock. Well, I mean, <laughs> you, you learned survival right away. So, you have this phenomenal experience of your your overseas exchange program in Russia and you're graduating. You made an interesting decision that I think really changed the trajectory of your life. Um, would you tell us a little bit about you graduated and what you did next? So when I graduated, I graduated in 1991. I graduated into a recession. I graduated at the time the military was being severely cut back. Even if I wanted to take a military, right? Like even if I wanted to pursue the military, if I wanted to change my mind, sorry, it was too late. The jobs that were off, we, you watch us all apply for jobs at the most, at the most, you would be offered a low end admin assistant position at the, at the app. That's the absolute best job you could expect. Great. Um, I looked for and found, I was looking for other options and I really wanted to use my Russian. I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back and live in country. What I found was I found an educational exchange headed by a Ukrainian American 
and they needed an office in Kiev. And I was told, I was told, hey, we're sorry, we don't have funds to pay you, but I promise you will be reimbursed. And I promise that if you get us a grant, like the, the first thing we're going to do is make sure you get paid. So I took it and I went to, <laughs> I packed my two suitcases <laughs> and my carry-on <laughs> and I had a phone number <laughs> and I was put on a plane. Well, I got myself to the plane with my suitcases and my phone number in my pocket. And I was told, don't worry, somebody will meet you. And this is back in the day before everybody had email. So email was only receivable at that time in that, well, we could only get access to it from friends, like from associates, that the head of this organization, a tiny little organization, there were just two of us, guy who started it and me. <laughs> you could only access it through the schools, the universities. So it was hoped that by this you know, exchange of emails, I was hopeful that somebody would meet me and I would have a place to stay for the first 30 days. <laughs> so I went over with a phone number, <laughs> the hope of being met, and I showed up in Kiev with my little suitcases. <laughs> so, you, so you left the country, went to Ukraine to seek the suitcases, phone number, and hopes that somebody would meet you there didn't know anybody else, had only the funds that you brought with you, and was just hoping that everything would be okay. Because those were your options. Because in 1991, your options to stay in the U.S. were limited. With your, your higher education, the best you could hope for was an admin. So given the two choices, I understand why you chose the, the Ukraine. I decided, look, this, right, I've studied this. This is what I really want. And it's, yes, I hope I will be met there, but I decided I'm going to figure out how to make it work. Like, this is my, I know I'm taking a chance. I know it might not, do you know, like, I know I might not be successful. I know it's a risk, but this is what I really want to do. And I'm going to try it. And I'm going to see if I can make it work. So you fly for, what is that flight, 19 hours? It's, it's not that it's a, if you do a straight shot out of New York, it's, I think it's nine or I think it's 11 hours maybe on coming back, but it's, it's actually a fairly relatively easy shot at about nine hours. So it's, it's still an all day flight. You get to the Ukraine, you land. Is there anybody there to greet you? Yes. I get met by, you know, random person, right person. I don't, I just, I just remember being thrilled. Like, don't care. I have found the people. We have somehow gotten the bags through customs because that is always a, it's always a, an issue, and it's always an issue in the developing countries. We get in, and we're out in like I get, I get, you know, whatever, driven to some sort of. The, these apartment buildings are all the same. They look exactly the same. Row after row of the exact same looking apartment building. And I think mine was like H. You know, I think they were all numbered. I think mine was like H of the same exact looking apartment building. I remember thinking, I remember thinking, I'm going to have to drop breadcrumbs. I will never, like these all look the same to me. How am I ever going to find my way home? Oh my goodness. But I had it. I was there. I was there. It was a place to stay. The people had met me. 
I was right. And we had, we made arrangements to, you know, like meet at whatever time I spoke the language well enough. Done. I'm in, I'm on my way. You're thinking, great. This was, this was fantastic. Everything is good so far. So you find your apartment building and you're like, great, I'm here. Then what? Well, okay. So I figured out I, my job was to make arrangements with a local university because it was an educational exchange. We're going to set up a program. You have to coordinate with a local university. You have to set up a curriculum. You have to set up an exchange program. Conveniently, I'd been on an exchange program. Also conveniently, most of my family's in education. Right? Very conveniently, I just stepped out of university. <laughs> right? So right? I'm like this in my wheelhouse. I will take what I've, you know, you take what you learned, you reapply. Excellent. And I did. I know how to be nice to people. I know how to, I know how to, how to create relationships. I know how to find common ground. And I met some, I was introduced to some great people and we set up, we set up a strong curriculum. I learned how to write my, you know, first grant proposal and we got it. We got it. So I thought I was all set. So, uh, so far it sounds really successful. You, you were accomplishing everything that you had set out to do when you got to the Ukraine. And then, um, the organization basically went under stateside and I was told I would not get paid and I would not um, receive any reimbursement, but thanks for getting, for winning the grant for us. <laughs> let me, okay. So let me back up here and say you're in the Ukraine by yourself. You're 23 years old, fresh out of college. Um, thank goodness you speak the language. You go to set up an exchange program and you're, company that you went there to do this exchange program for went goes out of business so you don't have any reimbursement and you are in the ukraine so are you stuck are you stuck so i got stranded and what i what you see later or you see as you know as you go through this it was it was not an uncommon thing to do to us on occasion, if they, if you have less, I'll call them less ethical people, they would occasionally decide like, oh, great, this person got it all set up. Well, they can't touch me because they're too far away. So I'm maybe going to forget to compensate them. It would, it would on occasion, you'd see it happen in the expat community. And I learned that later on, but okay, like for me, it was the first time going through it, whatever, not whatever, but I mean, I was not very happy about it, but, and I knew I was there. I was alone. I was now down a certain amount of cash that I'd invested. It was not going to come back to me, and I knew it. And I could either run back to the States with my tail tucked between my legs and say, you were right. My risk did not pay out. And I could reenter the same job market that I had just left, which I understood meant there are very few jobs. Um, and good luck finding something that you, you know, that you, where you can use your language. Well, I was already in Ukraine. I was already there. The, the, the country, the former Soviet Union had just broken up within like basically six months before. And everybody in the country wanted Western goods. I figured I speak the language. 
I've been here six months. Like I know a little bit about, right? I know a little bit about sitting, right? Like I understand the market economy. And so I taught myself how to import from, they wanted Western goods. I taught myself how to import from Europe. That's fantastic. So, so what kind of goods were, were the Ukrainian people wanting to get their hands on? So you would think, well, what I thought is, you know, I thought, well, there's definitely a little issue with the quality of food. So I thought food. I thought consumer packaged goods. And so I had all these different, right? Like I lined up this whole set of suppliers of, you know, consumer packaged goods, basically. So, you know, things you would typically find in a grocery store. Every meeting I went to, I, you know, like they'd look through the list. They're like, okay, that's great. You know, like you get the list, you translate them into Russian. And at that time, Kiev was very much a Russian speaking city. It was primarily a Russian speaking city at the time. You translate into Russian. <laughs> Every meeting you go to, they, you know, people read through and they're like, this is very nice. Do you have alcohol or tobacco? <laughs> <laughs> Every meeting, do you know, again, you're just still like, you're still a kid. You're thinking, I don't want to bring over alcohol and tobacco. I want to bring the good food products. You learn very, very quickly. The market would like something else. Would you like to adapt to the market or would you like to fail? We brought in alcohol and tobacco. We did bring in, right, like you could also sell, you could also sell chocolate and soft drinks. But really, they wanted alcohol and tobacco. I learned how to import alcohol and tobacco. I had a whole list of suppliers of alcohol and tobacco. And I learned how to bring in alcohol and tobacco. That is amazing that you went, okay, I'm here. I can either go back there and face the same dismal, situation that I left or I can kind of make it better here. So you adapted and you brought in alcohol and tobacco, which is kind of funny because isn't that what everybody wants? <laughs> Everybody's kind of looking for that. You know, you're a bright eyed kid and you're like, no, but I'm going to bring the good stuff. No, no, nobody. No, you don't want, no. I'm like, well, at least the, the, the chocolate you seem to have. Play. No, not it. Okay. All right. Fine. I got this. You're okay. So how so how well is that was that received? Were were you? I mean, you're still a foreigner. Oh yeah. And you're still female. Oh yeah. So how how was that received? So there were a few of us within, right? So what you right? Like you have your local friends. Yeah, you have like you know a whole set of people, but you will always find your expat community. And there were a number of younger women in the expat community. I would call a handful, a handful of us. But mostly I was the only, like nobody had seen an American before. And certainly nobody had seen a young American female doing business in their city. I, I was an anomaly. I was. And, and I, <laughs> I was an anomaly. It was, they were fascinated by this. And I learned, I learned how to, I learned how to play in stereotypes. I learned how to present as a foreigner. The women are treated, at least at that time, a little bit differently, maybe a little bit less equally. No matter what, the, what was said, you were, the local women overall were accorded a bit less respect. So I presented hard as foreign first. And I would deliberately violate some of the cultural norms 
to, <laughs> to basically broadcast, like, I'm a foreign person, I'm American, and it would change the level of respect you got. I had to learn, you have to learn how, it's an entirely different way of interacting in a business meeting. It's an entirely different set of skills to build the relationship. And then the negotiations are completely different. And, and very often I would have somebody look at my things, right? Like you bring samples, you've got your list and you're all, you've got your business suit on, you're all professional. And they would look at it and they would say something to the effect of, you know, like, these products you are showing us, they are of low quality. <laughs> like these are terrible. These are awful. Who would ever buy these things? And the first meeting I was offended, right? Like, I was offended. So there was no sale made, right? I was offended. I left. Whatever. The second meeting I got, I was like, oh, this is a cultural thing. <laughs> Do not be offended. <laughs> right? You have to, and you learn this, right? Like you learn it from the ground up step by step. Like the first time you're offended, okay, I can't be offended. All right, good, now I know. This is what I need to do the second time. Oh, the second time I made this mistake, okay. Don't make that mistake again because that ruined the deal. And again, I, I, never, I never brought goods over. I, like, this was all new to me. This is an entire new set of experiences, and you have to learn fast. Otherwise, your business isn't going to go. So you have to learn it, and then you have to be very adaptable and you just have to, you, you get very used to screwing up. It's not fun to not know what you're doing. <laughs> and you just have to keep putting yourself out there. And you're like, okay, all right, today, apparently we do not do this other random thing. <laughs> well, that's bad. Okay. And so you have to, and you're adapting to an entirely different style of cultural norms in a new setting. So it's in a, it's your new culture in this business setting where you were negotiating for what is, especially in that country, comparatively large sums of, of, of cash. And you just, again, I'll tell you, like the thing I look for, <laughs> the thing I look for when hiring people is determination. I could have quit at any time. I mean, like there were enough obstacles up there. You could quit at any time. And I wouldn't have necessarily had to go back and felt like a, you know, like it felt like I failed. It's like, okay, I did this. I wasn't successful, but I learned, you know, like I learned the things and I have more experience. But I learned that if you just, you just keep trying. And so you, your first deal, you, you learn your first deal and you're terrified. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. That's how you feel like you feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. And you you're driving to your bank with $20,000 in cash in your briefcase because cash business and it's a dollar business. So there's your cash. Wow. <laughs> and you're thinking so you're, this is you're, so weird. <laughs> you're carrying cash with you. Wow. I mean, if it's not intimidating enough that you're female in the former Soviet Union doing business with solely men, I'm going to assume, and now it's a cash oh, business, know, yeah. you have to transport cash around uh -huh. the city yep and then because there's no legal system there's a strong mafia presence and because the legal system doesn't really work at that, that time it, didn't, it doesn't matter what kind of business you had you had no legal system so it was enforced by different mafias. So most, most companies were affiliated with some sort of mafia. So you know, if you screw up this deal, 
somebody's going to be very angry at you. <laughs> and you don't understand, you don't know, you're like, I don't know about the possible outcomes here, but they seem bad. Right? Like somebody might take you to the court in the U.S. And you could be like, oh, that's, you know, that's very sad. We've lost, you know, like there might be some money consequences and that would also be bad. But you have to worry about, will there be some sort of retribution? So, you, you know, you drive, you're, you're taking your $20,000. You're like, oh, I just hope this deal goes well. And what happens is you just do it. You screw up. You make some mistakes. You just do it. You do it to the best of your ability and you just don't give up. So my first truck comes in. Yeah, there were some problems. We didn't really make any money off the first truck, but we broke even and nobody came after me. I was good. And I talked to the first truck and I found our Czech drivers. Now, I don't speak Czech, but I speak the Russian. And between the two of us, we figured out I could understand about half the Czech <laughs> and they could understand about half my Russian. <laughs> now, I had a, now I had a trucking company. Right, like I went to meet that first truck. Well, talked to the drivers. I understood, understand them what kind of problems they tend to have on the border, and how you need to load your trucks differently so that you do not have those problems, and how you need to arrange with your supplier to never overload your truck because then otherwise your drivers are going to have to pay extra money on the border that you did not agree to because there are no cell phones in those days either, so they can't ask you. <laughs> But your truck shows up. That's fine. Because of that, you don't make any money on that truck, but you break even. You know the system now. You're okay. <laughs> your truck showed up. <laughs> and do you know, like, overall, that's your first transaction, transaction, and everything was fine. It was good enough. Second transaction will be better. And what happened after that is I met another set of business people, and they were going after they were looking to be an exclusive distributor of US tobacco products and they appreciated how I worked so they brought me in we pitched and we won an exclusive distributorship to import and distribute that particular company's tobacco into Ukraine that's fantastic and that was just by hustling yes <laughs> you met those people by hustling that is exactly right <laughs> So you are able to land this distribution and you build your company to be incredibly successful. What did your, first of all, how long did you run your company in Ukraine? And secondly, what did your company look like in the Ukraine? So again, I will tell you, I will tell you it was, Perf you know, like it was successful enough, <laughs> successful enough. I figured it out. Um, I had, they're told about 30 people working there. I think about 16 or 17 reported to me. So we had a warehouse, we had office space, a warehouse. And I ran, I ran a sales team, like we ran sort of the operations piece of it, the finance piece of it. I ran operations and the finance and I ran the local, the, the, Kiev sales force and I had two partners and they ran sort of the larger country sales force. That's it. it so it's a, it, that's a decent sized com company. I mean that there's not just two people. It, it right. It is. <laughs> it is. And um, you learn that there's a whole set of things that come with managing 
a significant group of people. You learn how I had two partners. You learn how to work with partners who see things differently than you. You learn how to structure things. Right? Like the whole, this is all a brand new situation to me. So you have to negotiate through those, the, the partnership. You have to, you have to understand how to motivate your own team, how to train them, how to bring them on, how to motivate them, how to coach and develop them. And it's, it's, it's definitely, it's challenging, but we were successful. We did a good job. Um, I did it for about two and a half years, two and a half, three years I was in. That's, and so start to finish, you were still only 26 when you, when you (laughs) finished (laughs) this, when you finished this business in in the Ukraine, which in and of itself is remarkable. You got to come home and say, yeah, I started a business inside in the Ukraine doing something I'd never done before, did it well, and I can come back to the U.S. with my head held high. And I know that you then went to business school and jumped into the corporate world. Although I know that your experiences within the corporate world were much like most females that are having in the corporate world where, and we all have, we all have those stories and we, we all know the frustrations about it. But what I want to highlight for everyone is, as I I've repeated before about this master of your own destiny through things that had happened to you, you made this decision that what they were offering you, whether it was a position that you were clearly hitting the glass ceiling or getting passed over because you were female or what have you, you looked at the landscape, you looked what they looked at what these organizations were, were offering you and you went, nope, no what you're offering me is not good enough. I've worked way too hard to accept minimal, uh, minimal success, minimal return. And I'm going to go make it myself. And that started when you were 26. Uh, So I, I know that I'm jumping ahead in time, but I think what you've done for the last 14 years and starting your own organization was started in your foundation when you were 23. So we'll, I want to pick up from there where you looked at the corporate world and went, nah, nah, you don't deserve me. Um, what, what did you, what did you do when you went, I can make this better myself? Well, I'm going to say at all times, I think hindsight is 2020. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Always different choices you could have made, or there are things that you could have done differently. That's how it is. We make mistakes. Sometimes we take the wrong path. Always things could have been done differently, and I would say often better. But I went. <laughs> I went. I loved my corporate job. I did new product launch, and I got it. I loved it. I did national new product launch. I loved that job. I did not like the bureaucracy and I did not like what I will call the internal political environment. And I didn't like the lack of success women I had seen anyway, 
from women being promoted. And I didn't like my lack of progress. And so I took a jump. I, could, I, I chose there's something called the MBA Enterprise Corps. It's a nonprofit that sends MBAs out to developing countries. And I thought, haven't been overseas in a while. Ukraine was one of the countries they were looking for people. I thought, lived in that country, ran a business in that country, speak Russian. I thought, I'll bet I can get one of those positions. And so after, I think I just squeaked in the deadline, you had to be, it had to be less than five years after you graduated from business school. And I, again, I thought, I'm going to do this and I'm going to figure out what my next move is in my career. Right? Because I don't, I don't do well when I'm <laughs> not working. Right? You need, you need something to do. I need a challenge. I need something. And I thought, this is great. Right? I applied for, I was offered a position and I, I went and what I did was I actually did what I do right now. I did a chunk of my brand management job, but I did it as an outside consultant. I did a, in essence a very similar job, but as an outside consultant to small businesses in Ukraine. And it's a, it's a very different way of trying to figure it out. So, and you, it's a, it's a bit different of the, you're right, like coming as a consultant as somebody outside and doing this within a small business, very different from the, the corporate environment. So you have to figure out how to flip your skills to fit that. You did it. You took, you took everything, absolutely everything. You took your experience of starting a business in the Ukraine at a very young age and your successes and failures with that. You took your business school know-how and your experience as a brand manager here in the U.S. for U.S. corporations. And you took that to the Ukraine. And you just tweaked your skills. Yeah, you figured it out. That's, that's the theme is you figured it out. So again, you make whatever missteps. You learn that even in, you know, now, now the country, country is very different now. I was in an office led by, there were a couple of other Americans there, but mostly, right, I've had mostly Ukrainian consultants. And the leadership was maybe not as strong as, as I was used to. Um, and I could do my job very easily. I was given all of three clients. I, it's not, I mean, that's, it's not a difficult job to manage three clients. It, I mean, this, but, but so I took that it's less, so it's like less, it's fewer people to manage. We have to figure out how to apply your skills and then what they're asking you for these skills, even though brand management is very much this general management with, with expertise in advertising marketing. That's what brand management is. General management base expertise in advertising and marketing. Okay. We got asked a, what they needed a lot more basic business administration skills, setting strategy for these companies, setting strategies even for the consultants on other teams within my own organization. You took your, you took a lot more of the business admin skills. You had, you had to dredge them out of your head from five years ago. You're like, I got this. <laughs> I mean, you talk to people and right? you're like, okay, all right. So let me build a pricing model. Okay. Right? I have to teach people how to do activity-based costing. Well, I had a class in that back at Darden at UVA. Okay. 
you you learn very much how to it, it's very helpful to have a good memory you've got to pull things out of your head you've got to pull those past experiences out and figure out how to reapply and figure out how you can use those to build a foundation to make that a successful job and I was coming in as an outsider so first of all these local companies did not want us <laughs> they did we weren't we weren't really all that welcome in the, the local company of, of the Ukrainian consultants because I, I was there with one other American consultant because we were too productive we worked too fast so you get done with your work too quickly and you do you know like in comparison the rest of the office was maybe didn't look so good so they ship us out to Kharkov which is the second largest city in Ukraine and <laughs> and the office out there didn't really want us either so they put us in a room by ourselves <laughs> and then we were sent by the like the, the Kiev office like well are the local people helping you and you didn't you can't really say not really basically we're locked in this room on our own and um they don't really like us and they don't know what to do with us and you can either be unhappy about it or you can make it work so what the office in Kiev would do is they send out a team and you'd be sort of a tag like you're a part of the team okay great and they're out in Kharkov which they if you're from Kiev you maybe see is maybe not the largest city in the world <laughs> see it's a bit of a, a step down <laughs> So you're there and they're pitching, it's a USAID project, they're pitching free consulting services by this foreign woman. And so any smart business owner, you know, that's what I would do. Somebody pitches that to me and be like, mm, that's great, um, but is this even gonna be worth my time? Like I'm busy, I have a business to run here. So the first thing you had to do is you had to overcome, you had to overcome how your how it was being pitched by the Kiev, by the local Kiev consultants. Because nobody trusted them. And then I was a foreign person. They're like, we're in Harkov, like we've never even seen the, you know what I mean, that's not, but I mean, there are a handful of Americans out there. <laughs> we've never seen them. So I still remember sitting in a business meeting, like eight of us around a table and like three from the local company and like five from the consulting team. And I speak Russian, and, and Harkov, they speak Russian more commonly. It's more common to speak Russian. And, and the business owner says, he says, how do I, you know, he basically says, how do I know this is going to be worth my time? I get you that, because the, the, the Kiev consultants were like, but she's free, just take her. Like, you've got a free set of hands, just take her. And he said, you require me to do some extra stuff for you. How do I know she's worth it? And so I politely just answer him. I say, you don't, said, you don't. You have to figure out, I said, I completely understand that. You have to figure out whether or not I'm smart enough to provide good advice that helps grow your company. I said, you're absolutely right. Of course you're concerned about that. You know, you do not know. You have no, right? We have no history. You don't know me. We've never worked together. And plus I'm an American person. <laughs> American person and once again yes. female. Yes. And you have a you have a male business owner saying uh -huh. what does she know? Yes. And so I told him he's right. You're 100% correct. Of course you should worry about that. I guess you're going to have to figure out whether or not I'm smart whether or not you think I'm smart enough to do a good job for you. 
and you watch him. And I wasn't rude about it. I'm very polite. Like I'm in my Russian, it's very polite. I'm very polite about it, but I addressed this question directly. He was 100% correct. He did not know. And these are valid concerns he should have. And I didn't try to sell him. I acknowledged it. I hear you. And I understand you run this company and you have to make this decision. And I watched him sit back. Sure enough, that was my first client. <laughs> We're in. <laughs> Yeah. But yes, that's what you faced. No kidding, because because they were doubting you. They're like, "What does she know? Foreigner. She doesn't know anything about me or my business or my country. What does she know?" Mm -hmm. But you took all of your skills, the ones that you may have acquired five years ago, maybe even longer than that. You dusted them off, and you made them work to the situation you, and that's that's the theme of your that is the theme of your life I don't is like to fail <laughs> I just don't like to Nobody fail, likes to fail. <laughs> but this is if but you are determined you, yeah sorry yeah yes with, with, with you it's not just a matter of failure for you I think that you use everything you've got, everything, you know, every skill you have, and you will maneuver it and shape and shape it to whatever you need to fit the situation because you want to get closer to success. And I, I don't, I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that you're not afraid of failure. You're afraid of quitting and failing. Yes. Very, yes. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. And, because what you've described, what you have, what happened to you in the first first time when you were in the Ukraine, the second time is that you you tried and failed and tried and failed all the time, but each time that you had an experience, you're like, well, that didn't work. You changed it and you tried it again. And I think that that is, yeah, that's the essence of being the master of your own destiny because. And like I said before, you looked at what was offered to you and you went, nah, not good enough. I'll change it and make it my own. And it's, it, it takes a lot of work. So I don't want to minimize that. But you figure out if you are determined enough, you can figure out just about anything as long as you don't quit. That's what you learn. It's Oh, my gosh. Mary Ellen, that you just said one of the most amazing things that everybody should write down right now. Say it again, because I, I think that that most definitely should be repeated. So please say it again. So I want everybody to write it down and put it on your on your your terminal on your computer and look at it every day. If you are if you are determined enough and you just don't quit, you can make it work. You will find a way to succeed. And I'm not saying that that doesn't hold true in 100% of the situations. One of the hardest things for me to do was to learn when I actually should quit, when I should not pursue something. And I'm not saying Ooh. that I didn't know that before, but you have to, that's something you need to fine tune. And I learned quickly, way back on that first time in Ukraine, I learned that. I learned that my rough 
percentages were. Because <laughs> my my mine is keep going, keep trying, right? Like that's my that's how I usually approach. And it's not that I try to run through things, but that I will continue to try different approaches. And I learned that 75% of the time it worked and 25% of the time it didn't. And yes, you can get, you can, you can learn exactly what it is about when you need to quit. And I'm much better about that now. But at the time I said, well, good enough odds for me. Three out of four, <laughs> I'm going to learn some other stuff. And I get that my approach doesn't always work, but it works in three out of the four cases. So that's enough to build on. But it's this, you keep going and you, I understanding sometimes you should quit. Understanding you never, it's hard to tell. Understanding that every situation is different. But overall, if you just keep working on it and you are determined enough, you will figure out a way. That is so amazing. And I hope everybody heard that because that is one of the whole reasons why we're doing this is so I can give a platform for people to hear the magnificence of everyday ordinary women walking amongst us, doing extraordinary things, but living very ordinary lives and doing it in plain sight. Uh, and you've done that very well. And you now own your own, your own company. Would you mind mentioning the name of your company? It's Hickman Consulting Partners. And, and we your, do what I call, sorry. I was going to say in your specialty, I'm sorry. Yeah, we do. I call it marketing strategy for growth. So what we do is we work with small business owners and we work as outside consultants or plug into their team to increase profitability. So we set strategy, we do planning, we do forecasting, we do sort of business analysis, we craft plans and campaigns. And then for the clients who need it, we either train their teams how to execute or we execute for them. So you're using every skill you've got to the, for the benefit of your clients. And you've got lots of skills and I'm assuming that so does your team. That's... I have, the, I have the pleasure of working with some absolutely amazing people. I have, I have some very skilled, I have some highly, just some incredible marketers. I have some incredible graphic designers. And I have hardworking people who are, have very high standards for their work, who are also willing to try whatever's needed to help support our clients. <laughs> we are motivated by getting our business owners paid more, being able to pay their people more, being able to take care of health insurance or 401ks. Like we are motivated by building like a stronger company that pays out better for the people involved. And it's, like I said, you run your own business, it's up and down. You know, you, they politely call whatever, they call it a lovely little roller coaster that we all live on. And there are plenty of hard parts about it. But nothing beats the days when your clients ping you, email, phone call, text, however they reached out to you to say, I did what you said and it worked. <laughs> You'll get 
you'll get it's just it's some small thing often it's some small thing you'll get a pang like i did this and it worked i signed this new client or i did this and you could see that they're not saying in their email or whatever like i really didn't believe you at first <laughs> but you pushed me and i did it we gently push and I did it and I got the result. That's what makes my day. I live for my clients coming back. Our clients will come back and say, okay, I know we worked together, right? We did a small project about 12 months ago. Well, I wanna tell you, it worked out really well for me. And I say very politely, some of your financials and I check them against their goals. It makes my day. You pull the financials, you look at the goals, you're like, we talked about doubling profitability within this time frame, and we just pulled your financials and guess what? Check done. That's what makes your day. Like that's what you get to that's what you get to take home, right? Like that's what you get to take away from this. Mary Ellen, I love that you have built a company around all of your best skills and you are offering them to small businesses. You are, you're taking the best parts of you and you're giving it to organizations that can really benefit from it. And I am so appreciative of you sharing so much of your time and yourself, because this has been such an amazing conversation today. Uh, this may warrant a second one because you have so many other stories to tell because I've had the pleasure of being able to get just a hint of those. Uh, but before I let you go, I ask everybody the same three questions and the responses are always fascinating. So I'm going to ask them of you. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay. First question is, what are you currently reading? Audible counts too. So I recently, well, I have recently had LASIK. So I have a hard time. I like reading and I read very quickly. But so I'm, I'm on the, the, you know, like I'm on the audiobooks now. I'm reading the latest Lee Child. Oh, right. The latest. <laughs> so you have a, so you have an escapism book. Oh, absolutely. Like that, you know, other people watch movies or TV. I read. So and we do a fair amount of writing as well. And what makes you a better writer is reading well-written, right? Like the reading makes you a better writer. I read everything. But my personal fictional escape right now, I happen to be reading a Lee Child book. I like author's first novels. I like fiction. I like a first novel. I like that story that at least I like to think of it this way. It's been held in that author's head all of their life like for, I don't know, years. And it's the first time they get to put it on paper. I like, I like somebody's first novel. That's, an, I've never thought of it that way. I may have to start doing that. That is, that is incredible insight. I'm going to have to repeat that. Um, so second question, what are you currently learning? 
Oh, oh, there's so much. There's so much. So right now we're in a particularly, right, like right now we've just had a set of protests, riots, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. I'm going, I read, I'll probably spend an hour, an hour and a half every day reading up on current events. Right. And that's my, like, that's again, like if you want to talk about my outside of work learning time, that's what I do. And my job is to understand politics better because I am, I did not realize that I needed to be more engaged. I did not realize that I needed to be more aware of what's going on. And while as a woman, I have faced a significant number of challenges. I need to think about, right, I'll tell you, a, a good chunk of our clients are non-native speakers or people of color. I failed to appreciate some of those challenges. So right now, I am studying anti-racism and reading way too much about on every medical analysis of our current pandemic. So that's my, that's my additional reading. I have a little escape, and then I have a be smart about what's happening right now in the world. You know, I think that that is the right path is educate yourself on what's going on in the world so you know how to better react to it or be proactive to it. Um, so my last question is, if all of this wasn't exciting enough, what is next for you? Well, I unfortunately have a history of maybe planning a little bit less aggressively in my own life than we do for clients. <laughs> so what I do periodically here is we apply what we, what we do to our own business. I like to say we get about 10% of it. <laughs> like, oh, can we have a little, bit of the, a little bit of the good stuff we give out? <laughs> so really what I'm figuring out is I need to hire. So right now for me, I need to make a couple of hires. So I need to find a couple of good people um, for our team because what I need to do is make sure that my goal is to have, it's a very small goal I feel, is to have a little more time off so I can take a week of vacation. I'd like to take a week of vacation at a time, maybe twice a year. And my goal is strengthen my team so that, so that we can have a little bit more flex and a little bit more coverage. And I have, I have one of my team members who will be going on maternity leave, and I need to make sure that we cover her well so that we can bring her back on with the right timing and at the right level of effort so that it fits her so that she comes back in at the right time for her. So next for me is hiring a couple people, building out my team a little bit more, a little bit more cross-training, and then kind of setting us up for a, a, a more robust structure internally to, so that we can better, it really is so we can better support each other. I think that that is indicative of your, in, your entire life is making it better, not just for yourself, but for everybody else around you and having a goal of going on vacation is is a great goal and it's 
you know, and I know our busy lives, it's terrible that we have to make that as a goal, but you are at least making that as a priority so you can take care of yourself. So then you're better equipped to take care of other people. Um, I think that that is one of the best goals. So it has been a true, true pleasure speaking with you today. I again thank you for your generosity of time, your generosity of spirit, and being so open to revealing everything, your successes, your failures, your triumphs, your crash and burns. Thank you so much for doing this. I truly appreciate it. And I look forward to doing this again with you next time. Audra, thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And thank you again for setting up this series of podcasts because I will be listening. I appreciate that very much. Um, thank you everyone that's been listening. I appreciate your time. I hope that we've earned it today and we will see you all again next week. That's our show today. Thank you so much for joining me. But before I let you go, I have two items of business that I must, must get out there. Number one is I want to talk to as many women as possible. So please, if you know someone or you are someone that is ready to share your story, please hit us up on our socials at Women in the Arena on Facebook or Arena Women on Instagram. Next, I have some giant, big, fat thank yous that I need to extend out there. Number one is to my guests. Without you, there is no show. So thank you so much for your generosity of time, your willingness to be authentic and completely vulnerable and share a piece of you with us. Next is to my audience. I appreciate and am grateful for your gift of your time, and I hope that you have used it wisely with us. Next is to our composer of our intro music, that is to Star Diva, who's incredibly talented. And last, but certainly not least, is to my producer, my number one son, my son, Gavin Agan. Without you, this show is just a bunch of ramblings and recordings that don't make any sense. Thank you so much for everyone who's joined me, and I look forward to seeing you next time. This is just the beginning. That's our show. I am so grateful for each and every one of you and your unwavering support and your continued belief in this movement that has become much bigger than me, much bigger than just a podcast. It has become this forward momentum that we are all doing together. If you are ready or you know somebody that is that is ready to tell your story and share your value with the world please connect with me. You can reach me at audra at womeninthearena.net. I am so honored and thankful that you will share your story with me and I'll make sure that it is well taken care of. I will never stop thanking each and every one of you and I cannot wait to talk to you again next week as we share another woman's story and we celebrate her doing extraordinary things in plain sight. We'll see you next time.